Hey, listeners. We just wanted to put in a quick word for uh, another show that HPLD is taking part in. It's called Where Water Flows Uphill. If you're interested in local goings-on, uh, local history, sort of uh, the people who live around you in the community, how much the area of northern Colorado especially is changing right now, check this show out. It's called Where Water Flows Uphill. It's put on primarily by the Weld Community Foundation. Um, the first episode features an artist who's working on the Link Library and Innovation Center, um, an installation that'll be there and hopefully be entertaining everybody for many, many years to come. So I'm going to put a little preview of that on the end of this episode. So stay tuned for that after um, Why Did You Read That is over. And if you like this show, you'll definitely love Where Water Flows Uphill as well. Welcome, everybody, to Why Did You Read That? My name is Megan, and with me is Peter. Hello. As always. Do you, like, always almost kind of forget the title? Yes. Me too. Yeah. Maybe we need a catchier title. Yeah. I have that moment of panic of, what are we, what are we doing? What's hey, Meg, what you reading? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yep. Something that'll appeal to the youths. Maybe we need a colon, and then, you know, let's just do... Uh, why did you read that colon a true crime podcast? That seems to really like get That's everybody going. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the money is. <laughs> well, with, on this podcast that we're trying to make a, the next runaway hit true crime sensation, uh, we basically just talk about the stuff we're reading. So I bring four titles that I'm reading. Peter brings four. Uh, we describe them to each other. And then we each pick two to talk about in more depth. Yeah, the only crime is against good taste, I guess. And really mostly from you, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's, really, it's pretty one-sided <laughs> on that account. <laughs> and um, uh, as I just found out by doing a quick search through my notes, um, you started last time. Okay. So I'm going to start this time. Okay. Are you ready to hear my titles? Uh, I'm ready to hear a joke. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I have failed you, and gonna, I don't know if you can ever forgive me. I'll blame myself. I We were supposed to do this last week, and then I went and I played golf. I played golf like... Yeah, you abandoned me for golf. Yeah, I know. Pretty wild. Ouch. I play golf like three times a year. I'm very bad. I was right. by far the worst on our four-person team. <laughs> Okay, ready? Yes. What did the librarian say to the patron looking for books on paranoia? I don't know. They're right behind you. Oh, that's, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's no. good too, getting into spooky season. That's right. I'm looking forward to our next one. Yeah. Our spooktacular. We are recording this on September 1st. Yeah. So the first day of the Burr months. Yep. Finally. Yeah. It is still it. like 90 degrees outside, though. I know. But it's, it's the dog days, right? This is the end of it. <sighs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right. Yes. Now All I'm right. ready to hear now about titles. your books. My apologies. How could I have forgotten? Thank and you so, for remembering. So Megan will share with me four books she's read. Yes. I will pick two to hear about in depth. Correct. And then I'll do the same sort of thing. Yep. 
and that's then it'll be over and, and then we'll say all right we did it yeah Pretty or much. you'll like arrive at work or wherever you're going while you listen to this and be like well that's the end for me <laughs> <laughs> you know it's fine we understand yeah, whatever you do you <laughs> all right here's here's what i brought for this week uh my first book is a man and his cat by umi sakurai this is a manga uh, and it came up in that same search that when I was doing The House Husband, and I yes. found The House Husband. Okay. Um, I also found this one. And so this is now the one that I have read, <laughs> A Man and His Cat. And it's basically about a guy who adopts uh, a cat who's no longer a kitten and is widely considered to be not that cute. Um, <laughs> and it's a story of them being a family. It's very cute. Okay. Um, can I ask a quick question already? Sure. Is the cat not being cute? Is this like a she's all that situation where you're like, this is clearly a well, cute cat. Everybody's just objectively wrong. Or I mean, is it like drawn to look not super cute? I'm a cat person. Mm -hmm. So in my opinion, all cats are cute. Mm -hmm. But here, I brought the book. That's the cat. <laughs> the so cat he's, is... He's fairly squarish, but with like round spots and kind of a derpy expression. I will, I will say he has kind of a derpy expression. He does have a sort of heavy lidded look to him yeah. that is not typical for cats. He looks like later, cute. later, uh, uh, Marlon Brando or something. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a bit tubby. He's what we might call an absolute unit <laughs> in the yes. internet cat realm. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. So yeah. He's, book one. He looks all right. Man and his cat. Okay. Book two, I am actually not finished with. I'm about a third of the way through it. Okay. Uh, it's called The Scoundrel Falls Hard by Sophie Jordan. It's a romance <laughs> novel about a lady blacksmith. And uh, there's a, a con artist in the neighborhood, and she saves his life by claiming to be in love with him, even though they've never really met and then that turns into the community saying, oh, yeah, well, if you're really in love, then why don't you get married? <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, are you? Prove it. Well, okay. then we look forward to your nuptials. <laughs> so is this like an old-timey thing then? I mean, it's a historical, yeah. Okay. I feel like for some reason I pictured Lady Blacksmith, and the first thing I pictured was like, a modern day <laughs> woman who's taken up blacksmithing as a hobby. I mean, I'd read that too. But I, no, she's uh, she's one from a long line of blacksmiths, and she's the latest in her family. All right. To run the smithy. Does she have fiery red hair? Uh, not on the cover. Okay. She's blonde, but she's very tall. And as a tall person, you know, you don't get a lot of tall romance heroines. They're usually like petite and like mm. cute and with towering tall, you know, love interests. All right. So I like having a, a tall, strong kind of, it's a nice change. Sounds good. Then I have Octopus Seahorse Jellyfish by David Litschwager. This is a combination of essays and some really spectacular photographs of just sea life. Okay. Okay. Then uh, The Golden Enclaves by Naomi Novik, which is actually not out yet. It'll be out at the end of September. But it's the final book in her Scholomance series, which we did talk about book one. So I don't know how that might sway you. Um, but it's what I've read. So All right. it's what I brought. I'm in. <laughs> well, I am also a fan of cats. Yes. So I would like to hear about a man and his cat. All right. I mean, 
Sure. I mean. You knew it was going to happen when you bought it. I suspected. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I haven't always been a man of cats, but now I have two outdated cat calendars at my desk. I was present for your evolution into a cat person. (laughs) And I enjoyed being there for that. Thank you. Yeah. It was was a lovely journey. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the first in a series of books about this pair. Um, I've only read the first one, so I have no idea where it goes from here. But you, so it's this older Japanese man who adopts the cat, uh, who I think is Fukumaru is what he names him. And you, I got the sense reading it that something he had a, he had a wife for sure. And I think he had kids and now he lives alone. And so you get the sense that, um, his wife has probably died. Um, at any rate, he seems lonely and, uh, but I'm jumping ahead of myself. So the book opens with this cat, Fukumaru, sitting in a pet shop in this tiny glass cube, and he's just sitting there, and all of the cute, adorable kittens around him are getting adopted and adopted and adopted, and he's getting sadder and sadder and sadder. And then uh, this this man walks up and points to him and said, they keep reducing his price. It's so sad. <laughs> Even when they reduce his price, no one buys him. Um, but this Japanese man walks up and says, I'd like to adopt that one. And he has, uh, the cat has this immediate panic attack of like, oh no, I'm probably going to be a gift and they're not going to like me. And then they're going to bring me back and that's going to be even worse. <laughs> okay. So wait, is this, this is a kind of book where like you can see the cat's inner thoughts, Correct. but I'm assuming it's not like a talking cat. No, it's, he doesn't literally talk, Gotcha. but he talks to himself. Like gotcha. he has thoughts. And uh, he uses, like, cat language. Like, um, he, let's see, what is he, <laughs> I'm trying to think of exactly how it works. Um, like, he'll say mew instead of you. Okay. Yeah, so that kind of, like, cute stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, he gets adopted, and it turns out that it's, they're actually, like, really well-suited to each other because they're both, like, super lonely. Huh. And so he goes home with him and, you know, he's initially kind of scared because he's lived his whole life in this tiny glass box, but very quickly, like, comes to be comfortable. He's sleeping on the same bed and, you know, the thing happens where you have a tiny cat, but somehow they've taken up the entirety of the bed. Uh-huh. Yep. And so you get that and the cat getting scared when he has to go to work and he's left home alone and you know it's just it's just cute <laughs> nice um the 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 teacher the japanese man who who adopts the cat he has a friend who is a dog person and when he texts him a picture of the cat it's like what's with the ugly cat you know and he, <laughs> then later it's like wait a minute cats are or like pets are family i probably shouldn't have done that and so he brings over like cat housewarming gifts oh that's nice yeah so it's you know not a lot happens it's really about these this man and his cat like loving like being a family loving each other and being devoted to each other and it's and like having someone when they didn't Hmm. i guess so it's just you know it's sweet it's a little corny yeah but it's cute (laughs) well i like on the cover it's never occurred to me before but it sort of would appear that the man has dressed to match the cat 
His suit and the cat's <laughs> colors kind of match. Yeah. Also, the guy upside down and far away looks a little like Dwight from The Office in his, mm. his style of dress. I didn't really watch The Office, so I can't oh, okay. really comment. Brown suit, mustard yellow shirt is basically... Yeah, I mean, that is what he's wearing. <laughs> I, can't, I can confirm. Well, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Just it's... a little cute him up. Exactly, yeah. It's not, it's not revolutionary. It's not even... Uh, I guess it started out as a webcomic, because when I was reading mm. the end, it sounds like there was some sort of a... I don't know if it was a Kickstarter or something like that to turn it into books. Oh, okay. Um, so it found, evidently, it found its its foothold somewhere on the internet, and now it's being printed. And, you know, it's it's not life-changing, but it's just cutest. But if you're a cat person, I think you'll find it kind of fun and cute. Nice. Um, and he is a derpy-looking cat, but even the derpiest of cats is cute. You can learn to love them. Oh, yeah. Um, I would like somebody who's not a cat person to try it because I'm just curious. I'm just curious My what the guess is that all of the like kitten language, the you know, I love Mew and oh, stuff yeah. like that is gonna they're nope right out. It's like done. Yep. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> um my favorite cat video that I've seen lately, and so it part of why I like it is because it started and then it became a mystery of what's going on and then we had to figure it out. But okay. it's this cat. He's a larger cat, kind of looks like this cat. And he's walking very quickly down a dock. And, you know, you can hear the person filming him is narrating. And they, she's like, oh, yeah, he's fine. He's going to make it. And then right as she finishes saying that, the cat goes right off the side of the dock, oh. <laughs> falls in the water. Swims to shore, and, like, as he's swimming, you can hear him splashing around and stuff. And the owner's like, oh. <laughs> and he just starts howling because he's so unhappy that he's wet and, like, whatever. And so part of the weird thing about watching this video is you're like, what happened? Yeah. Like, how did the, he just goes off the side, and it's, like, inexplicable. But then after doing an intense amount of internet research that I'm a little ashamed of. <laughs> Because I probably put more work into this than I did, like, my mom's last birthday gift. <laughs> uh, it turned... I found the the owner of the cat. Because, like, she has a, a shop on, like, Instagram where she sells, sells gemstones and stuff. Oh. But, you know, occasional cat. And it turns out that he can't see. Oh. And I'm like, that's why he fell off the side. That's why she... Because I was like... She's like, no, he's doing fine. He's going to make it. She's talking to somebody else off screen. And I was like, why wouldn't he make it? Right. Like, he, yeah, he's walking down a dock. For Why would he spontaneously not make it? It's like, oh, actually, there's an answer. <laughs> she posted a later video of the same cat, and he started, like, coming down the dock. And she's like, what are you doing? Stop. And then he jumps off the side of the dock. But luckily, he, don't, he hadn't come far enough, so he still landed on dry uh, land. Yeah. And I was, and you know, I was like, he did not learn his lesson. No, he did not. <laughs> anyway, that's my latest favorite cat video. I saw a good cat video of a cat walking along a backyard fence with mm -hmm. a mouth full of leaves. Oh, I've seen this cat. Yeah, and apparently this is just a thing the cat does. And yep. uh, somebody posted a comment that said, like, "What does the cat do with the leaves?" And so then there was a follow-up video where the cat just walks up and then just drops them at its person's feet. Yep. Like, here you go. I bring you leaves. Here's a bunch of leaves. Yep. <laughs> I've seen this cat, too. 
<laughs> just like, all right, whatever. Well, I thank guess you. it's better thank than the, the I guess it's nicer than a dead animal. Yeah. Or like the cat that mysteriously returns with like a hot dog and you're oh, like, yeah. whose yard did you steal this from? <laughs> my favorite though are probably, you know, where they're like, this, this is not my cat. And then you turn oh, yeah. and it's like, this is my cat. And they look kind of identical. And it's like, where did this other cat come from? Yep. Yeah. Why are there two cats in my house? Which one is mine? You've what is blessed. happening? Yeah. That's the answer. <laughs> Enjoy. (laughs) All right. All right, I'm ready. Here are my four choices. Choice one, Fantastic Land by Mike Bachoven. Bachoven? Okay. Um, It's kind of a Lord of the Flies situation in a theme park that has been shut down by a hurricane. Okay. Number two is The Writing Life by... Jeff Strand. Writing or writing? Writing, like scribbling down words that make a thing. Okay. (laughs) So eloquent. (laughs) You know when you do the thing? (laughs) Writing with a W. Yeah. Yes. That would have been a better way to say that. Um, The Writing Life by Jeff Strand. Friend of me personally. I'm not his friend. Wait. He's my friend, but I'm not his friend. Right. I consider him a personal friend. <laughs> but what anyway. you're saying is you've never met. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, it would be very creepy for him to be like, know how much time I spend thinking about Jeff Strand. <laughs> All right. But I'm not being creepy. I no just enjoy re- his books. Yeah. No one report Peter, please. He's, he, he's not stalking him or anything. No, like no. I'm just receiving his, his email newsletter. You know, which is virtually stalking for an author because it doesn't seem like email newsletters are super popular. (laughs) But But hey, he's sending it out. It's on him. He is. Um, You may remember Jeff Strand from such books as Clowns vs. Spiders, which Ah, we talked about probably a year ago. Yes, we have talked about that. Um, This is a book about his career as a writer, which is kind of interesting because he was like on the uh, sort of self-publication early vanguard and like getting into that and um it's not so much like a how to write book or even motivation it's more like here's a bunch of humiliating stories of things that have happened this is the second time in a row you've brought a a book of minor humiliations that's true yeah i've got a genre that i enjoy apparently (laughs) uh the next one is teenage mutant ninja turtles the last ronin by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Okay. So this is just came out, um, and it's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle story, but uh, instead of four turtles, there's only one remaining. Oh. And so, you know, that turtle has to do a thing. That's sad. Solo. It is sad. Uh, and then lastly, I've got a comic called The Nice House on the Lake by James Tinian, I think the fourth... I think so, because okay. you've, you've talked about this author before. I think I have, and I was like, I know there's a number. It could be four, five, or six. Yeah. Well, I know I there's a V. I have to look it up in the catalog to include a link, and I'm pretty sure you're correct. It's the fourth. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, this is a sort of a apocalyptic mystery box of a, of a comic. Okay. You've got like a bunch of characters. They're all brought to a house together to see what happens when they stop being polite and start living through an apocalypse. Start getting real. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Those are my four. 
All right. Well, even though it sounds sad, I'm curious about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing because my little brother was a big Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan and Christmas is coming and his birthday is actually coming. Okay. He would probably like this then okay. because I was also a Ninja Turtle kid. Like, uh, I was six when the first movie came out. So that's like perfect, perfect age. Yeah. And I remember like going to the theater and the line was out the door and around the theater to get in and we got in and I was so pumped. And then it was a little intense for me, (laughs) (laughs) which now it would probably be extremely comical, but, um, I've, I've chosen to not watch it since then because I'm like, you don't want to ruin the memory. Yeah. I think my memory of it's probably more enjoyable than whatever. Um, I also, okay, when I was about the same age, uh, they went on the Coming Out of Their Shells tour. Yes, I remember this because my brother went, and I did not have to go. How lucky for you. Lucky, very Maybe you would have liked it, though. You like musicals. This was basically a musical where through some convoluted storyline, Shredder, their enemy, had somehow made some gizmo that like ruined all music or something so the only way for the turtles to defeat him was to get a bunch of guitars and like you know blow him over with sweet guitar riffs as you do i can't i I don't really remember the storyline if i'm honest or the songs um but i did look (laughs) i looked it up online because i was like my memories are so hazy of this you know and one of my favorite things was, like, they had, like, logic errors section. Oh. So, like, the storyline had logic errors. Was this, like, a Wikipedia article? Yeah. Okay. And it was, like, a logic error. Leonardo plays a one-string bass, which would make it impossible for him to play more than one chord. <laughs> and I was just, like... <laughs> who is analyzing? We've skipped over the fact that he is a ninja turtle. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> You went to a concert where turtle men are saving the day, and you're like, hold on, this musical instrument is not up to par of whatever. I find myself doing this in movies sometimes, and I just have to rein myself in. I'm like, wait a minute. If you're not going to question the fact that they're on some, like, faster-than-light, you know, space travel egg in, in a different world, then right. you're not allowed to question whether or not there would be gravity. Yeah. So. Right. I just saw a thing about that today because someone was like, this and that about Star Wars. And someone else was like, but there are no noises in space. And there are in Star Wars. So how do you explain that? And the guy was like, uh, because in Star Wars space, there is noise in space. <laughs> and I was like, eh, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess based on what I've seen of Star Wars, yes, that seems to be true. <laughs> anyway. Um so the last Ronin is a post-apocalyptic sort of situation, uh-huh. um, and the remaining like futuristic or or pasty. Um, futuristic. Okay. But not like super mega futuristic. Let's say flying cars, but you know we're not in a colony on the moon. Okay. Somewhere in that vague. Okay. Back to the future, futury. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there's one remaining Ninja Turtle. And he has decided to avenge the death of his brothers and father, Splinter, the rat. Yeah. Um, and so part of the mystery is, like, you don't know right away which of the four it is. Oh, okay. Because I was going to ask that, so. 
kind of would kind of is a minor spoiler so i'm gonna leave it to the side okay and better to not look up and find out because you know that's part of what's i think interesting about it okay um so you know he reunites with some of the characters that we've seen before and then there's some new characters and um, I think the most interesting thing about it, so it's by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, who did the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. Okay. Um, and they, in this book, they have flashbacks that kind of explain how we got where we are. And those are all done in the art style of those guys. And so they look like the old comics when mm-hmm. they're in a flashback. And it's like in black and white. So it like, it's just fun. It's a fun way to do it. Yeah. I would say that, like, the way I would put this book is it's, like, it's a fun comic. It's not, like, fine dining. You know what I mean? It's not like you're going to walk away from the last Ronin and I'm, like, someone needs to teach this in a college course. You know? Like, (laughs) this is amazing. But if you have, like, if you're up for a Ninja Turtle nostalgia trip, like, this will scratch the itch for sure. Okay. And it's, like, fun if you just kind of go into it, like, yeah, you know. Yeah, this is like the never made Ninja Turtles movie or something. Okay. And it's got like a little bit of a dark edge, but I wouldn't say it's like horribly depressing or something. Um, Even though there's only one turtle left. Yeah, I mean, that part's sad. Yeah. And, you know, there are other sad elements to that. But uh, it's just enjoyable. All right. It kind of just like turns the whole Ninja Turtle thing a little bit upside down. Yeah. And, uh, but it's not it's not one of those things that's trying so hard to be like, well, this is gritty and whatever. Right. You know, it's it's like just enough. Right. Um so I had I had a lot of fun with it. Cool. I didn't know what to expect. And I was also like you just never know when you're like, Oh, these guys made this Ninja Turtle thing like in the eighties and you know, they were kinda just having a goof at first yeah. and like And that was forty years later. Yeah. And so you're like, mm, is the magic, you know, yeah. is the magic there? So you Was said this ever? is new era, right? Like this is just out? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is, I think, in the last year or two years. Okay. I think the hardcover collection just came out. Okay. And so the issues came out over the last couple years. Right. Comics have been all messed up from COVID and shipping and of course. ink and supplies yeah. and paper. But Oh, you just have to say the last two years. And yeah. You're like, oh, well, yeah, say no more. Yep. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, the hardcover collection, which the library has, just came out like, I think, a couple weeks ago. Okay. And I, I recommend it. Great. Boom. That's exciting. All right. I have to flip over my extremely crinkly paper uh let's see so we had the scoundrel falls hard yes octopus seahorse jellyfish uh-huh golden enclaves enclaves i was like golden eyelashes that is not what that was called <laughs> um i want to hear about octopus seahorse jellyfish oh good i was hoping you would pick that one <laughs> it's um so it's mostly photographs so for anyone who is like not feeling the reading and we had a conversation last week that I'm in a big reading rut. Like I'm just finding it hard to find the motivation to read. So this is, this is a great response to that. Like get a book of artworks or photographs or something like that. And then you can get the joy of like holding a book and going through it and not so much pressure about feeling like you need to read a story. Yeah. And there are essays in it, but I like any photography book. I think if you decide not to read them, you're 
you're fine. Yeah. Um, they are kind of charming because like he'll, the photographer will recount, you know, circumstances in which he took some of these photographs. So he's like scuba diving in some ocean somewhere and just like sitting on the seabed on the sand and he sees a conch shell and he's wondering if there's actually a conch in there or like a hermit crab. And so he flips it over and he sees this pair of eyes kind of looking at him. And it's a, a little a little octopus has oh. crawled in there. And so he freezes because he doesn't want to scare the octopus. And the octopus kind of crawls out from the shell, swims around to the other side of the shell, and then flips it over with his tentacles and then crawls back in. And then he sees this little jet of water kind of spew out from the bottom. And then the eyes come back. And he's just watching it. <laughs> So, you know, little stories like that about, you know, the behavior that he witnessed of some of these animals when he was making these photographs. And he took them over um, quite a long time, I think like 20 years. So there's 20 years worth of photographs. And they're all on a white background. He took them some special way that is, you know, fancy and I can't explain. (laughs) But um, you get a lot of detail of you know, that you would miss in, if it were just like me taking, taking a photograph with even the nicest camera. <laughs> right. That's interesting. Yeah. The photos are that. really, really beautiful. Huh. Um, they're all only of octopus, seahorse, and jellyfish, but there's so much variety of those three animals that, you know, it's just constantly fascinating and they're really, truly beautiful. They're so weird too. They're those very weird. Animals that I'm like, yeah, that's probably enough to fill a book. Yeah. Do you know where an octopus's brain is? No. So it is, um, it is kind of around the base between, you would think it would be in like the mantle, which is that big round part where the eyes are. Sure. Um, but it is at the base of that in between that and where the tentacles start. And okay. it's a ring. A ring brain? It's a ring brain. Oh, weird. And when they eat, it goes through the center of their brain. So like, okay, if I was an octopus and I ate a bite of pizza, that pizza that I swallowed passes through my brain. Yes, through the center, the hole in the center of your brain. (laughs) It would be like, so if you had uh, an airplane pillow around your neck, um, that would be your brain. (laughs) If if your body is tentacles and your brain and your head is mantle, um, the the airplane pillow around your neck is, is your brain. You know, I've heard just like a couple times or whatever, but like, how come there's not more conspiracy theories about them being aliens? Because they're just so weird. Like, well, we have uh, there's fossil evidence, which is really rare because they're you know they don't have a skeleton, right? (laughs) But um, what's to fossilize? (laughs) Well, I guess there's this one area. I think it was in Lebanon or something, where there was a like a a lake with a chalky bottom and uh, it somehow managed to, to preserve it. And so you can see some, um, some non-vertebrates or some invertebrate marine life from this area. Um, That's one of the things he talks about is going to the British museum or the, the London museum of nature or something like that to see, to see this fossilized octopus. And you can see, um, an ink stain even like that's how like you can see the, the octopus. That's ink. wild. Yeah. I just like octopus. I think is, this is where science is going to get in trouble. 
like when you watch these movies. <laughs> I re- remember reading this thing like years ago, and it was like they had taught this octopus. You know, they would give it a, a jar with food in it, and the jar was locked with a padlock, mm-hmm. and it had to use a key to open the padlock oh, yeah. and whatever. And I was like, this is not that far from, you know, where they get to the stage of like, yeah, we gave a, an octopus a revolver, and we put these, <laughs> you know, bullets off to the side, and like, he figured out, and I'm like, why would you do that? Yeah. Don't do that. Well, there's a, there's a story that was going around the the internet or the news or something about this um this lab that had an octopus in a tank and they would leave at the end of the day and they would come back and other tanks in the lab would be missing fish (laughs) and they were like what is happening because everything else like nothing was out of place right and so they put in a camera and they found the octopus removing the lid from its from its uh tank crawling out Moving over, crawling up, getting into another tank, eating the fish, crawling out of that tank, getting back into its own tank and replacing the lid. Yeah, see, no. This is, okay, this is why, you know, dogs need to be studied more and not an octopus. Because, like, (laughs) I love dogs, but, you know, they're way too dopey to know, like, I got to put the lid back on so no one knows I escaped. You know what I mean? (laughs) That would never happen in a billion years. And well, also they would eat every single fish in the entire place in one go. Well, that's And then that's be like true. passed out on the floor in the middle. Well, it makes you think of those internet pictures of dogs where it's like, who could have made this mess? What's, how could this have happened? And then you pan <laughs> over and the, the garbage can is like around their neck. And exactly. they're like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it just, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like they're too smart. They're very smart. That they talk. Uh, um, the author talks about this in some of the essays, too. Is that they are probably one of the animals that's closest to us as humans. Yeah. Not only because they're intelligent, but because they're dexterous. Like yeah. with their, we have fingers. They have tentacles. They can do things that even though like a dolphin is super smart, dolphins can't open a jar. Right. Yeah. But here we have this octopus who can. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I watched that, that Netflix movie, The Octopus Teacher, My Octopus Teacher or something. Mm-hmm. It's really good. But I should do, I think, picture books of marine life because, like, whenever I watch animal documentaries, there's always the part I'm like, when do we get to the part where the animal is, like, getting killed? Yeah. Because that always happens. I hate that. Me too. And I was like... We tried to, I tried to watch something with my partner about, uh, it was that documentary about penguins that like uh-huh. take over a March town. March of the Penguins? No, they yeah. like, they take over this little town and it's narrated by Patton Oswalt instead of uh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, I don't, I don't watch nature documentaries because they're sad. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is messed up. And I was like, all right, I can watch this. Yeah. See, these are cool. I'm showing him pictures, but this is not a visual medium, so I will stop. I don't need to watch these animals. Like, like can somebody just make a nature documentary and, and they just exclude that part? Yeah. Where I'm like, and then this baby wolf watched its mom die in front of it. And yeah, I'm like, that's the eh. thing is they take, they make the effort to like invest you in the yeah. animal. They're like, look at this adorable little bunny rabbit. Yeah. Isn't it cute? Look at it. Hop, hop, hoppity along. Whammo. Yeah. I think that's what I hate about it the most is because it, it like, 
they say it's you know people will say like oh it's just nature yeah you know it's just nature and you just got to live with it and whatever but i'm like but hold on nature is not like trying to invest me in the narrative about these animals particular animals lives they don't give them names in nature you know and but you did in this movie and now i'm like okay well i guess he's dead yeah you know that's fun well, and part of me gets it because it's like, you know, they're like, look at all of these little tiny baby turtles, yeah. you know, and only <laughs> only a third of them will make it to the water. And like, I get that this is a way of us really understanding that, like, it's perilous to be a turtle yep. in, the, in the world. But yeah, I, I don't I like that we have these scientific ones that really show us how the world works. But it would be nice if we could have some ones that we just watch because they're just cute. Can we just, yeah, cozy docu- animal yeah. movies? It's and like, I'm just, we're just like, we're just gonna watch sea life being beautiful, and that's it. Yeah, and just like, I'll sign some paper that's like, "Hey, look, I'm I'm a softy. I can't handle the real world. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I'll let I'll let my uh, third grade bully laugh. make fun of me. Yeah, like, <laughs> whatever I need to get the license to watch those. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't need it. I guess, you know, whatever. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's like, oh, this is realistic, but I'm like, I don't know. This isn't real. Like, yeah. what you chose to film and say isn't just yeah. reality. Like, it's you're more imp- than reality. You're planting your own narrative there. Like, what what you choose to show me and in what order. And I always thought, like, the most likely way for me to end up incarcerated is probably, like, I would be at a beach and all the turtles are hatching and some hawk swoops down and I hit it with a stick. And then they're like, that's some kind of rare hawk that you, you can't just hit that with a stick. And I'm like, it hey, was man. coming after this baby turtle. Yeah. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah. I read this biography of the poet Keats, John Keats. Mm-hmm. And there's a, an anecdote about him that um, he once was walking through town and he saw a butcher's boy tormenting a kitten and he just beat him bloody. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't condone violence, but at the same time, like, leave a kid like, alone. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we've gotten off course. That's okay. Beautiful photos of, of octopus, um, seahorses, which are real weird. You know, there's pictures They're of, super of weird. pregnant male seahorses and, you know, how they give birth and how they, like, hook their tails on things it's just weird and yeah. kind of cool and then strange. jellyfish which are like there's so many different kinds of jellyfish yeah yeah and they're they're weird those are like when you see them too i'm like i don't even know what i'm looking at yeah. like how is this a how is this alive what yeah. is this well and apparently you can like cut jellyfish into pieces and they'll form new jellyfish <laughs> <laughs> no that just doesn't work. Turtles eat jellyfish, though. Even the, like, venomous ones. I saw a video of that. Yeah. That was, like, one of those nature videos that I had, like, mixed feelings about. Because I yeah. was like, well, I guess I like turtles. Not, I, I don't know. I'm like, do jellyfish have feelings? I don't <laughs> Like, I have no idea. I don't think they have a central nervous system. I don't think they have anything. As far as I can tell, I'm like, yeah. I would mistake a plastic bag for a jellyfish. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, mostly they just drift through the ocean. But Megan, and I promised I didn't get stoned before I came here. <laughs> what if they do have emotions and we just cannot perceive them? It's because true. of our limited abilities as humans. I am willing to entertain this fact. 
What if jellyfish feel on the ultraviolet spectrum? Yeah. Well, and it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. I'm not going to argue with you. Also, they're just, they're real pretty. They are I pretty. Know, I have a thing about marine invertebrates. We have another book of photographs of marine invertebrates that has a lot of fi- pictures of nudibranchs, uh-huh. which are basically sea slugs. Okay. You might have still been in the office when I read this, and I might have foisted a bunch of pictures of nudibranchs on you. I kind of remember doing that. There, there are some of them that are just weird, but there are some of them that are so intensely beautiful, like I couldn't believe that they existed. Yeah. So, I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Well, and you know, the ocean, like, how much of it do we know about? Like, I guess they, there was some scientific endeavor to explore... A particular area of the ocean and they discovered something like 30 new species yeah. just in that one project that seems to be the case yeah it seems like every few days they're like we discovered some new thing or yeah. like check out this giant squid that somebody found exactly and you're squids. like what yeah. yeah i think there might be some pictures of squids in with the octopus i'm not positive mm, i don't i don't care for that i don't care for the blending of those genres <laughs> <laughs> that's like when you know the library always used to have those spine labels for genres and they always had fantasy sci-fi yeah and i'm like why are these together they're very different yeah i'm with you on this that was one of my least favorite things my second least favorite thing was the novel fight club was uh labeled as science fiction and i was like that no. seems like a stretch to me yeah I no could, i agree with you i never figured that out i was like because this is like about human psychology, but I mean, so any book that deals with human psychology in any way is a science fiction book? Oh, careful, Peter. I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> You're trying to tamp it down. I, identifying genre is a complex and interesting topic. Tamp down your for, feelings, Megan. For nerdy librarians. Watch out. <laughs> Just squeeze them into a tight little ball and... <laughs> Take it out on a catalog system later. That's right. <laughs> Don't get me started. All right. All right. Uh, so let's see. I had Fantastic Land. Mm-hmm. I had The Writing Life. Mm-hmm. And The Nice House on the Lake. Yes. And I am a bit torn between Fantastic Land and The Nice House on the Lake. Hmm. Do you have a favorite between those two? Um, I'll talk about Fantastic Land. All right. Um, because there's a couple reasons, but so Fantastic Land is basically the story of a Disneyland-esque theme park, you know, huge with like different lands and stuff. And it's in a sort of Hurricane Katrina situation. Right. And so the, uh, people who designed the park, you know, had prepared for this because it's in, I think it's in Florida, but it's, a uh, uh, it's pretty interesting. They talk about the development of the park and it sort of it was like a two person thing. And there was sort of the, you know, uh, spreadsheet guy uh-huh. and the wild dreamer guy. Right. And so, you know, they had to go Wait, back. This and is forth. not a real park. No. Okay. Just check. And so the, the dreamer guy was like, it's got to have this, this, and this, and it has to have a view of the ocean, you know, and whatever. So they built it close to the coast. So the uh, spreadsheet guy was like, okay, well, we need to be prepared for hurricanes. So they built in all this safety stuff uh-huh. and, you know, emergency supplies and all kinds of stuff. So a hurricane hits, the park is evacuated, 
but a pretty good number of the employees end up staying because what they had decided at some point was like, if a hurricane hits, we want to have some people stay so that the park doesn't get like looted and destroyed right. and whatever. Um, and if we just have a small number of people stay. So these are all like late teens, early 20s, mostly college students. And, uh, you know, they get like round the clock pay as long as they stay. And right. so they're like, yeah, why not? Yeah. You know, that's fine. Well, I need money. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they're, they're like perfectly safe. They're in like a bunker and whatever. Uh, then things, you know, take a turn as they do in these sorts of books. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're cut off basically from the rest of the world. And the disaster sort of uh, response teams are prioritizing different things. And the theme park is way down the list because everyone who works for the theme park is like, you know, here's who's there. They have tons of supplies. Everything's fine. Right. So they can be down your list. Right. Um, so they end up spending a few weeks there completely cut off and it gets very dark. It's like a Lord of the Flies slash Battle Royale slash Hunger Games situation okay. sort of develops. Do they in fact have like enough food and everything? Yeah. Okay. Probably. Okay. You know, it's... I was just checking that that wasn't like the food got salt water in it and that. No. Okay. It's more like one of those tragedies where you're like... You know, if everybody had just sort of kept level-headed about everything, right. it probably would have been fine. Right. But, you know, some people didn't, and some people chose not to, and opportunistic bad people, and right. everything. Okay. Um, it's kind of interesting, too, because it's told in, like, an oral history style. Oh, okay. So, you know, it'll be, like, this guy telling his version of what happened at a certain event, someone else telling a version of what happened at a similar time. It kind of goes chronologically, so there's not a ton of crossover between, like, it's not just crosstalk where it's, like, this lady says this happened, this guy says this happened. Right. But it, it sort of transitions between events that way. And it's kind of, it turns out cool because what happens is there's a lot of stuff that's still kind of unknown. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, they know this person was dead, but they don't know exactly what happened because right. this person says this, this person says that, you know. Um, so it was, it was a good read. It was like a pretty quick one. And is it I'm, a graphic novel or a novel? No, it's a, a book, book, regular book, okay. <laughs> print book. Um I liked it a lot. I'm a kind of a sucker for that sort of story yeah. where it's like people are trapped in a situation. I always feel like everybody goes a little dark, a little fast, right. but fine. Um, but the other thing is I did this thing where, cause I was also, I've been in a reading slump yeah. of sorts. And so me and my partner decided like on a Saturday, we were just going to like pick a book that we had, you know, cause we've got a, book collection at home and that we hadn't read and just read it straight through. So just basically spend the whole day and finish a book that okay. day. And so this is the one I picked and it was a good choice. And also I just recommend that experience if like somebody listening is up for it. Right. Cause like, it's kind of fun. It feels very like decadent cause you're like not being productive that yeah. day. You're not getting a lot done. But, you know, it's not like you're spending a ton of money. Yeah. It's not like you're, I don't know. It's no more decadent than accidentally sort of watching Netflix all day. Right. 
Um, Or getting sucked into the chopped marathon. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is easy to do. Yeah. If I had a nickel. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. I was probably 30 pages in and was like, this was the worst idea I've ever had because I was just like, there's like 200 more pages of this book. I'm never going to finish. Like, it's going to be all day and I don't know. And, but I I was very happy we did that. Yeah. And I think we'll do it again sometime. Cool. Yeah. Is she also happy with her pick? Yeah. Um, her pick was the opposite of loneliness. Um, it's a bunch of essays. Was by a young woman who I think had just finished college and she was supposed to have a job with the New Yorker maybe. Mm -hmm. And then she suddenly died, I think in a car accident. Is it a picture of a woman in a yellow outfit on the cover? Yeah. All right. That's how my brain works. Yep. (laughs) I think it had a cover image that it was very memorable somehow. Okay. Maybe because we all, it was tragic what happened to her. And so... But anyway, she read that book and really, really enjoyed it. Okay, good. She was like, it was really good. And she did have mixed feelings about it because she was like, I don't know. It was kind of sad because, like, you could see all this potential in yeah. this person and she's gone. But at least this happened, I guess. Yeah. That's something. Yeah. So she also really liked her book. So, yeah, if you're going to do it, too, I recommend picking a shorter book, whatever that means to you. Right. Because for me, I was like, I think if I shoot for around 200 pages, I, I could be confident in finishing right. that without, you know, being at like 11 p.m. reading for right. 14 hours or something. Yeah. Well, it and the length of books, it, it a longer book can feel shorter. Yeah. And a shorter book can feel longer based on the way it's written, too. It's like it's a chancy thing. Yeah, this one was pretty good as far as, like, it's pretty fast-paced and, like, a lot of plot. Yeah. It wasn't, like, a deep character study where I was like, okay, yeah. I'm getting a little overwhelmed here. navel gazy. Yeah. That <laughs> one, that kind of book, although I enjoy it, might not be the best. Or, you know, like a highly literary short story collection. Right. I don't know if that would work so well. Like an airplane read is... Yeah. yeah. I think you want like a thriller or a horror or something, but or like something amusing, entertaining. Right. A romance novel. A romance novel would be a good choice. Yeah. I've read many a romance novel in a day. Yeah. Just not recently. Yeah. I think it's, it was fun. I had fun doing it. Yeah. And it was like one of those like bucket list things of like, I want to read an entire book in a day. Yeah. And I was like, maybe I've done it, but I don't know. So now I know. Yeah. And I'll probably do it again. Cool. Boom. Excellent. All right. Do you okay. want to... So I guess now we're going through our four titles? Correct. All right. So I brought uh, A Man and His Cat by Umi Sakurai, which we talked about. The Scoundrel Falls Hard by Sophie Jordan, which is a historical romance. Um, Sophie Jordan tends to write very tropey romances, um, which I personally enjoy. So this is like a marriage of convenience, forced proximity thing, um, which is popular among romance readers. And like I said, I really like that she's a blacksmith. Like she's almost six feet tall. She's very <laughs> strong. Um, you don't see that a lot, especially in historical romance heroines. So I like the title. It just yeah, made me, the scoundrel I, falls hard. Something about the word scoundrel just makes me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like such a gentle. Yeah. 
Oh, you scoundrel. You scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> you see it a lot in historical romance. It's yeah. a fun word. I feel like I know exactly what kind of person that is. Yep. And I'm like, I don't hate them. Yeah. But, you know, I know I'm sort of supposed to, but sort of not. You, you end up shaking your fist in frustration. Ooh, you scoundrel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I brought Octopus Seahorse Jellyfish by David Litchfogger, which is mostly photographs, uh, really, really beautiful photographs of uh, these three marine invertebrates, um, different species of them. And uh, I don't know, they're just really, they're really cool. And then some interesting essays if you choose to read them, but you can totally get a lot out of this book without reading them if you don't want to. Then I read The Golden Enclaves by Naomi Novik, um, which is actually the third in a trilogy. It's out at the end of September. This is um, the Scholomance series. And normally I wouldn't bring um, a book in a series that we had already kind of talked about, but A, I haven't, like I said, I haven't been reading a lot. (laughs) And uh, so this is what I have read, you know, have read. But also, I think it says something that, uh, you know, one of the biggest reading slumps that I've ever experienced. Um, This one trilogy, I have read all three books in, like, boom, boom, boom. Uh, And they have kept my attention and been exciting. And so if you like fantasy, especially like that magical school thing, um, with maybe a bit of a darker edge than Harry Potter, like this is a more grown up you know, vision of what that might be like. And the main character is kind of a dark sorceress who is um, supposed to like end the world. Like there's a, a there's a prophecy that she will oh, end the world. Oh, these prophecies. Yeah. And uh, never good. Never good. <laughs> You're going to have a really amazing lunch someday. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, the whole trilogy kept my attention and drew me right through. It didn't like the middle book didn't sag. Nice. Um, the end book was satisfying and ended up in a direction that I didn't expect. And huh. um, the whole thing was great. Sounds so, very pleasant overall. Yeah, it's exciting and um, yeah, good fantasy. So if you're if you're a fantasy reader, now all three books will be out as of the end of this month. So it's a good time to start it. Yeah. Well, and you can start now and just read through. Yeah. If you absolutely. wanted to, all in one day. Well, I don't know about that. All in one day. Okay, all in one day. (laughs) (laughs) All in one day, I said. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. All right, your turn. Okay, I had Fantastic Land by Mm -hmm. Mike Bakoven. That's the Lord of the Flies in the theme park situation. Yeah. I had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. That's about the lone surviving Ninja Turtle. Um... I had The Nice House on the Lake by James Tiny and the Fourth. Um, this is kind of a weird situation. A bunch of people come up to this like house in the mountains with a, a mutual friend they all sort of share. They're all kind of in a friend group, but they're not all friends with each other. They're all friends with this guy at the center. Okay. Um, and then they discover weird things start happening almost immediately. And uh, this would be great if you're, like, into a show like Lost or maybe something like Sherlock or something where you're kind of trying to, like, figure out what's happening and uh, things are not what they seem, but, you know, you're slowly unspooling a mystery. A little twisty, a little turny. 
Yeah. Um, it is a bit of a qualified recommendation because I don't know how it ends because uh, it's not all out yet. Okay. So it could be much like Lost, a little bit of a dip at the end that doesn't quite <laughs> satisfy many viewers, but um, so far it's shaping up to be really good. Okay. And then I had The Writing Life by Jeff Strand. Your um, pal. My buddy, Jeff Strand. Now, if you'll indulge me, I thought the best way to like describe this book was just to read part of it. All right. So this is from a section where he's talking about working with other people mm -hmm. and how that's necessary. At one of my signings, a woman picked up one of my books, which she did not purchase, and asked how much the publisher was allowed to change. I explained that it was a back-and-forth process with the editor that you worked as a team to make the best book possible. They wouldn't get to do that for my book, she said. They wouldn't get to change a thing. It's just not that kind of book. She went on to describe how her book was filled with carefully crafted symbolism, but I kind of zoned out. Believe me, I absolutely love the freedom that comes with self-publishing. If I want the next paragraph of this book to be an unrelated anecdote about seeing a hippopotamus at the zoo, I can do it and nobody can stop me. This one time we were at the zoo and the hippo tank had a glass wall and one of the hippos swam right up to us. It was right there and all of the onlookers oohed and awed with delight. It was a magical moment, something the children present would think about with a smile on their face as they drifted off to sleep. And then, without warning, the clear water of the tank became significantly less clear as a thick, murky cloud emerged from the hippo's hindquarters. There was a gasp from the crowd as the hippo hippopotamus took a great big aqua dump right before our eyes. Suddenly, the moment was much less magical, though perhaps more memorable. <laughs> It's great that I have the freedom to include that entirely true story, but was it the right thing to do? <laughs> At that same zoo on a different day, an employee was leading a llama to a different area, and she asked everybody to move out of the way as she passed through, but this little boy ran right up behind the llama, and it kicked him dead on square in the nuts. <laughs> By the way, I was reading this as I was going to bed and laughing out loud. <laughs> This llama couldn't see its target, but it got him with laser scope precision with a great big whap sound. Oh man, he cried out as he ran back to his parents. Oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. A medic appeared so quickly that it was as if she'd been summoned from the void, but obviously nobody else was invited to look at the damage to this unfortunate little boy's genitals and their status remains a mystery to this day. Obviously, this chapter would be better, or at least more focused, without those two detours. That is why, as authors, it's important to have somebody look at our work and say, Hey, Jeff, it's kind of amusing that this kid is probably sterile, I suppose, but it's not really relevant to the overall message you're trying to convey in this chapter, and I strongly recommend that it be cut. <laughs> nice. So that's... The kind of thing you can expect from The Writing Life by Jeff Strand. All right. Very amusing. Uh, he's very self-deprecating. Uh, it's just, I think he's got a great sense of humor. He also spends a lot of time talking about, like, uh, here's a dumb thing that I did that you should probably not do, but you probably do it anyway, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, here's an opportunity that I completely squandered. <laughs> So would you say this is a book that non-writers could get something out of? Absolutely. Okay. I think it's kind of like, uh, you know, I think like there's 
there's a moderate amount of advice for like an up and coming writer as mm -hmm. far as like, hey, it's a good idea to attend conventions and here's why and you know here's how you can kind of manage that. But I think there's a lot of just like, uh, you know, he talks about he corresponded with these two guys named Mike and Matt quite a bit and they were like big fans and he was excited and he'd met both of them before at conventions and then they were at a convention where both of them were present and so matt came up to the table and he signed his book mike and then he realized that it was the wrong guy and then he was like you know oh i swear i i remember your name i know who you are and like whatever but he was like, I don't think he really believed me. And then that kind of killed that friendship. And then he did the same thing to the other guy. Oh. <laughs> and he's just like, I don't know what happened. Yikes. Or, you know, he, he'll share tricks, but they're, I think, amusing to non-writers. Like, he'll say a lot of times, I should know someone's name and I don't. So I'm going to sign their book and I'll be like, how is your name? How do you spell your name? And he's like, but sometimes they say, just like it sounds. <laughs> and then he's like, okay. Or he's like, equally embarrassing. Uh, you know, I'll say like, well, how do you spell your name? And they'll say, you know, J-I-M. <laughs> and you're like, all right, cool. <laughs> I didn't know if there were two M's, so yeah. I wanted to be sure. <laughs> you just never know these days. <laughs> so I, I think it's pretty entertaining, right. even if you're not a writer. If you are, it's definitely a, a good read. Okay. But if you're not, it's probably still at least mildly entertaining. If you liked that excerpt, right. you'll enjoy it. If you found that juvenile and stupid, don't read this book. <laughs> <laughs> don't read this book because uh, you won't like it, and I'll have to you know, explain to you why you're objectively wrong to have that taste. Wow, bold take. Yep. <laughs> Takes get real hot towards the end. That's what keeps people coming back. <laughs> And those are my books. All right. Well, and last time you ended up with a joke that you had made up. Do you have another joke or did you forget? I forgot. Well, right. I had another joke and then I couldn't remember it. Give me one minute. All right. No, it's gone. All right. Well, it was a nice thought. I, okay. I have like a little, a little joke. Okay. We could try it. All right. Uh, no, that's not going to work. No. Do you want to Google a joke? <laughs> just look one up no i want to bring my own jokes right. i can do my own jokes i got i got jokes all right i'll come up with i'll have one ready next time yeah we'll see i need what i really need is for for cassie to keep track of them for me that's the important thing she's you know, the human filing this cabinet is our job and not hers should i just call her now maybe all right let's try it all right everybody this is a, a big scoop on this show <laughs> She might be really unhappy that I'm calling her. <laughs> we'll find out. Hi. Oh, man. Well, it was worth a try. She didn't pick up. That was smart on her yeah, part. Yeah, she was probably like, I know that this can't be good. <laughs> Send a voicemail. Well, there we go. We tried. I tried. We tried. I made it a different, worse kind of effort, but an effort was made. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that's um, eight more titles. Boom. That we've suggested to people. You'll have a very long reading list. Yeah. I was thinking one of these times we need to do some kind of contest, and like whoever gets the most people to to write in and say that like they they will put one of our books on hold or their to read list, 
whoever the loser is has to read something terrible and then report back on it. You do realize that despite your own personal preferences, generally what we're trying to do is get people to read something they like. Uh-huh. Yeah, I just, I don't know, maybe just a little competitive <laughs> edge. Do you, We did this once before. Do you remember? I do. We had a program we did here that kind of inspired this whole thing. Yeah. He reads, she reads. Yep. And whoever got the most, like, votes for books that, you know, uh, they'd recommended the best books or done the best job, um, the other person had to read something terrible. And it was like a self-published book that was called like the plastic plastic bench. bench. Yeah. And I had to read it and it was terrible. Yeah. It was actually a little worse than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. Which is saying something. (laughs) Yeah. Because that does not sound like like a gripping read. It was a punishment. Let's be honest. Yeah. I can't remember what I picked for you to read. I don't. Probably one of your um, Charles, what's his name's? Oh, yeah. Charles Hinton. Yeah. You may remember from such books as Jurassic War. (laughs) 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 So I I think one of these days we got to do that again. Well, not next month. That's horror month. That's That's correct. That's got a great built in theme already. So we're good. Yeah. But after that, we should consider it. November. What's during November? Nothing. All right. Well, you know, we don't exactly have um, a way to communicate with the people who are listening to this. Are you aware of that? Yeah. I'll think of something. All right. This is part of my job you're, now. Yeah. I was going to say, you're our social media guy. Figured out. Yeah. I'll do it. All right. We can do this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm crumpling my paper. All right. That means I'm done. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for joining us. Um, This has been, why did you read that? I've been Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Things are changing here in Weld County. I've read newspaper articles on this. I've heard city employees of Greeley, Colorado, the county seat, give reports. It's a discussion that's been happening for a while. Things are changing by way of growth, population. This area of the United States is one of the fastest growing in the nation, on track to double in size by 2050. With growth comes challenges but also some really wonderful things, too. Here in Greeley, a new library is being built. It's across from Weldworks Brewery in the old, giant, downtown Greeley Tribune building. It's called Link because it's across from the historic Lincoln Park, but also because it's going to be a library and innovation center, L-I-N-C, or Link for short. In the heart of this building, something special is being created. A large-scale, immersive, experiential space is going in at the very center of the link, like the headwaters of a river. And it'll probably be different than anything you've ever experienced before. The artist, Wes Bruce, who's done creative builds like this all over the U.S., 
is the head of this project. There's an area at the Poudre River in town. It's 100 acres around the river called Signature Bluffs. This is what's inspiring the space in the heart of the new library. Children and adults alike will enter this area, and I don't think I'm overselling this. I've seen Wes's work. They'll enter this area and then come out with eyes open and jaws dropped, amazed at what they've gone through. This is going to be a real gift to our community. In this podcast series, we'll be following the artist, Wes Bruce, while also threading together some stories unique to our community. He'll be giving us insight into what he's making. And all the while, we'll be asking, in the coming flood of change, who do we want to be? This production is brought to you from the same people who produced Weld Found, a show about belonging and community. We're considering this a special series in the same vein as Weld Found. This show is made possible by the Weld Community Foundation, celebrating 25 years of spreading the good. For more, head to weldcommunityfoundation.org. Extra support for this series comes from the NoCo Optimist and the High Plains Library District. With that, friends, we're so excited to present to you Where Water Flows Uphill. It's the summer, June, of 2018, and there's a man on the roof of my house, shouting and yelling. A crowd of kids and adults are gathered in front of my house, and they're yelling back at him. The man has a couple of bottles of mustard with him, those French's mustard squirt bottles, and he's loudly talking something about how his birthday party was ruined and how he refuses to eat birthday cake and... He shoots mustard into his mouth and on the roof and on himself. At one point, he runs on my roof and does a somersault. In the crowd below, all the adults hold their breath while all the kids scream in delight. Now, let me give some context here. This is a birthday party in 2018, a great one to be remembered forever. My oldest daughter, Lucy, was turning nine, and she wanted to have a spy birthday party, one that would involve sneaking and solving riddles. Both my wife and I are creative-type folks, so this is our jam. We planned it out. There would be a hallway with lasers they had to sneak through, which can be made with some yarn and tape, of course. There would be codes to puzzle out, costumes to disguise with. We had everything but a villain. So I asked my friend, an artist named Wes Bruce, would you do it? Would you play the over-the-top, melodramatic bad guy for a nine-year-old's birthday party? And here was Wes's response as how he remembers it. And and I need a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember like your response? Um, I mean, it was like very quick of like immediate yes, and I went into like full summer camp mode where I was like, all right, so here's the characters I want to do. Here are the costumes that I want to wear. I'm probably going to go to the Ark first and then I'll go to Goodwill. I'm thinking 
Pink Panther should make an appearance. Maybe Michael Jackson. <laughs> I was like, are there lasers? Like, <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was just like yeah. an immediate yes. Um, with yeah. just knowing and loving Lucy for so long, I was like, absolutely, I want to jump in and help celebrate her. Oh, and and I go. <laughs> And I, I was excited that you were like all down for this. I was like, I'm gonna need access to the roof. I'm gonna need. <laughs> and you're like, all right, let's yeah, do it. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I remember, I remember being like, be like, okay, Wes is gonna go all in, and I, I was really hoping he would, uh -huh. but I didn't expect you to go that far in, and it was just, it was the delight of. And he also said, can I get access to your roof? <laughs> let's pause here a moment because you just met our protagonist in this entire series, Wes Bruce. As our story continues, I'm going to share with you three things that people first notice about Wes when they're getting to know him. Three things. The first thing that people notice about Wes is that he's a kid at heart. Wes has a playful spirit about him, this joy that he carries with him. And it's actually not in a silly way or something that makes you want to say to him, grow up, man. When you encounter it, it's genuine. And you think to yourself, ah, I wish I had a touch of that in my life too. That's the first thing that people notice about Wes, his kid-like wonder and demeanor. I've got some audio from the start of the spy birthday party. It begins with like 16 kids in our kitchen and we're going to show them the birthday cake. We lift off the cover of the cake. And many more. <laughs> The cake is gone, stolen. Who took it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Where'd the cake go? Where's the cake? Did one of you guys steal the cake? One of our spies no. trained? What? I did it. Did somebody move all the presents? As the activities progress, we have a video where they meet the ne'er do well who would do such a thing as steal a birthday cake. The audio is really low here, but the kids are watching a pre recorded video of Wes. He's in a pink cowboy hat and sunglasses. He speaks with this ridiculous accent about how when he turned nine, a boy ruined his cake by spraying mustard all over it. And ever since, Wes has decided never to take another bath. He's developed a phobia of water. He'll never eat cake, only mustard. And he pushed me in the pool and he stole my cake and he covered it in mustard. So, entire life, I have been scared of water. I know, right? Wes has gone deep into developing this character for a nine-year-old's birthday party. And they are all so into it. And so are Bettany and I. The party, like I said, is a great one. Wes surprises the kids on the roof at one point. They're all chasing him, but he escapes. It ends as a showdown at the park right by our house. The kids have water guns and they're shooting Wes and he overcomes his fear of water and decides to stop getting mustard everywhere and Lucy invites him to her party. Now, this was the climax of the whole thing. Bad guy, Mr. Mustard, has a change of heart and he's invited to the party as the kids show him kindness. One of our neighbor kids, a young boy of I think eight, was still so angry with Wes. He's caught up in the caper. He kicks Wes hard in the shins. And Wes, in character still, crouched down, getting on the kid's level and addressed the young boy. I can't remember exactly what he said, but I was there, I watched it. It was perfect for the moment. In character, Wes says, I'm sorry for stealing the cake, 
but I've brought it back. I was acting bad because someone once ruined my cake, but would you allow me to come to your party? Would you forgive me? And this young kid pauses and then hugs Mr. Mustard. And then he stayed close by Wes the entire time afterward, joking with him, making sure he was enjoying the cake. For weeks afterward, he led kids in the neighborhood, playing spy games while creating a welcoming environment. The second thing people notice about Wes, he has a real gravity about him, a wisdom. It's not just crazy kid-like silliness. It's a twinkle in the eye that also knows something deeper. There's meaning to the madness, purpose to the play. That especially comes out in the art that he creates. It's not all birthday parties and wackiness. In fact, several years ago, Wes helped to change the course of my life. Wes now lives in Brooklyn, but he's been coming in and out of Greeley this past year. He's creating a large-scale installation at Link, the Library and Innovation Center, a new building in downtown Greeley. This is happening through a grant from the Weld Community Foundation, from a fund called the Impact Fund, and from support from the High Plains Library District. This installation will be inspired by the river, the Poudre River. It'll be for kids, but I want to tell you, adults walking through this will be deeply impacted. I have another friend of mine who loves Wes's art, and I asked him to describe who Wes is for him, and he said this, a sage. Wes is like an adult Peter Pan. He's grown, but he has the wonder of youth that follows him. And it's contagious. He brings mystery to a world that has been domesticated. With the art he does, he takes our hand and leads us to places of wonder. I'm so excited this is happening here in Weld County. I think the building of the link and the creation of Wes's installation is going to be so great for us especially in the face of such change happening in our area. We have a flood of population coming. Weld County is actually on track to double in size in something like 50 years, growing by 20,000 every year. We are poised at the beginning of some big things here. And things are moving forward. The first steps are being taken. A new season is soon to be upon us. When we're stepping into something new, it can be good to have a guide. The third thing that people notice about Wes Bruce. So first, it's noticed that he has a kid-like spirit. Second, that spirit and joy has a lot of gravity. And third, well, that combination of wonder and wisdom tends to be inspiring. It can sometimes get people to ask themselves big questions like, who do I want to be in my life? Is there anything of courage and excitement that I've left as I've grown that maybe I'd like back? 